A very good morning to you. My name is Neil, I'm married to the wonderful Kate. Together we lead this amazing church, Southwest London Vineyard. If you're new here or you're visiting, you won't be able to hear me, but you're very welcome. Please go and see Doreen over at the back. As a hello welcome, we'd love to connect you with the body of Christ, whether that's this part of the body of Christ or any other part of the body of Christ. We'd love to connect you uh, with what God's doing in and through his church. So uh, chat with Doreen and um, we'll stay in touch with you. During the, uh, during the sermon, during this bit, uh, offering baskets should come around. If you're new or visiting, just ignore them. Uh, all the money that uh, goes into the offering baskets is going to support our partners in, um, in Nepal and India and in Myanmar who are um, combating trafficking. So we're supporting a whole bunch of guys internationally who are uh, tackling trafficking and also kind of planting churches at the same time. Uh, very excited, I haven't got time for this, but very excited. First of July, uh, Lisa Samuelson from the Yangon Vineyard is going to be speaking. Uh, Lisa spoke, I think, last year. She um, also runs Eden Ministry. Uh, very, very exciting. Uh, you'll be glad to hear that the Yangon Vineyard, we were out in, um, in, in Myanmar in uh, November. The Yangon Vineyard is just about to plant the Mandalay Vineyard, which is ex exciting. So um, she's going to be coming, uh, and we support those guys. So any money that goes into the baskets is going towards those guys and people like that. Right, last week, um, the clock is broken. <laughs> so I'm just saying, right, settle in. Uh, last week, we began a series on the book of James. Uh, as I said last week, I, I'm really on a kind of let's get James back on the map campaign. We're all, all trying to big up James uh, in an attempt, uh, probably a failed attempt to whet your appetite for the book. We took a rather sort of lengthy introduction, an overview of the whole uh, thing, so I'm not going to go into that here, listen to the podcast. Anyway, one of the things that I felt that the Lord would have us do while we're doing this series on the book of James is to read all five chapters of the book of James uh, every day. Yeah, remember that? <laughs> oh, rubbish, I forgot, I wasn't listening. Uh, and, and to see really what God brings up, that's kind of the point, that's we read our Bibles on a daily basis and to see what the Spirit of God does. And the reason for that is that we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed. We believe that all Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. And if that is our belief, then um, our firm conviction must be that if we go and find ourselves a quiet corner and invite the Spirit of God to come as we read the scriptures, we expect that the Spirit of God is going to not only show up, uh, but is going to most likely highlight things uh, to us as he does so. Um, Jesus said that when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And our expectation and our experience is that he does just that. When we invite the Spirit of God to come, he shows up. He really does. That's why we begin by saying, come, Holy Spirit. We're inviting him to come and to show up. And um, when the Spirit of God shows up, one of the things that he loves to do is to change us and to transform us with ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus. So, how's it been going? <laughs> There's no prizes this week because I knew none of you would do it. Have, have you given reading, a James, reading James a go? 
just all sort of look at the floor. <laughs> um, have you read your Bibles this week, people? <laughs> Nervous laugh. Okay. Um, those of you who have been reading your Bibles uh, and hopefully been reading, have you heard the Lord speaking to you at all? Uh, have you sensed the Spirit of God leading you into all truth? Um, I certainly have, as I've been reading James. And um, what's, what's fascinating is it's actually not uh, all entirely comfortable. It's only when you're reading a book like James, but it is a glorious thing. And the purpose of all of this is the reason that I'm encouraging us and exhorting us to kind of dig into James, particularly at the moment, and to be reading every chapter. It's only five chapters. Like read every chapter every single day. Um, and to get into, commit ourselves to studying the scriptures is... The purpose of all of this is to lead us to God. That's why we're doing this. This is, to, um, this is about us coming into a, a deeper and more meaningful relationship with uh, Heavenly Father. This is about us becoming more like Jesus. It's about um, seeing ourselves as we read the scriptures and also seeing him and being uh, touched by his presence and transformed um, by his power. So um, please... Let me encourage you again, just let's be digging into uh, the book of James every day for the next uh, little while. And just as an aside, you, you, do know, um, you do know when it's the Holy Spirit at work in your life, don't you? Like you, like do you, you do recognize the operation and the work of the Holy Spirit when he's doing stuff in you. That's, a, that's an important thing for us to be able to recognize. So you're, you're, um, you're in your favorite armchair and you're reading James. Uh, if you're anything like me this week, and you're reading actually some pretty hard stuff. I mean, it's pretty hard hitting. Some of it, much of it in James, directed in a, uh, communicated in a very direct uh, way, which, which I kind of like. But, but how it makes you um, feel like as you read it, you, you, what stirs in you as you read any part of the scripture. You, you, do, you do know which bits of that are the Holy Spirit at work uh, and which bits of that well, kind of aren't. Does that, does that make sense? Because um, it's important to be able to discern those two things. Uh, the tools of the Holy Spirit, um, perhaps a better analogy would be the, the, the surgical equipment of the Holy Spirit, um, is that of conviction. Okay? Uh, the Holy Spirit convicts. He doesn't condemn, but he does convict us. And the way that you can tell the difference between the two, between conviction on the one hand and condemnation on the other, is that condemnation leads us away from our Heavenly Father. Condemnation breaks our relationship with God. It separates us. Conviction, on the other hand, does exactly the opposite. Conviction always leads us to the Father. It, it always, conviction always draws us towards our Heavenly Father. And conviction, what it does is it builds our relationship with God. And it's not always an entirely comfortable feeling. It's not necessarily accompanied by the warm fuzzies. Conviction uh, can be challenging, but it, it comes with a sort of, um, it can come with like a, a contrite heart, a repentant heart, a broken heart, actually. And uh, if you're anything like me, it's accompanied often with sort of weeping and sobbing and bleh, um, snot. And, uh, but it's in the sense of, oh, God, I've been so foolish. I've been so stupid. What, what was I thinking? But 
as my kind of heart gets broken before the Lord, as the Spirit of God convicts me and leads me into all truth, my, the, Spirit, the Spirit of God comes and the Father scoops up that heart. He scoops it up and he lovingly holds it and he tenderly heals it. And what he does is he shapes us in that moment and molds us to become more like him, more like the very people that he's created us and called us to be. And, and condemnation, condemnation is like, it's like something else altogether. We were singing about it um, even just this morning. It's that voice, you know, that voice that tells you that you're worthless. You know, that voice that tells you that you're, you're no good. The voice that tells you you'll never get this stuff right. You know, you've got too much rubbish in your life, too much baggage, too much trauma. Uh, God's never going to be able to sort you out. You know, you, the, the voice that when we're reading stuff in the scriptures that may challenge us and it's like, yeah, well, that's not going to be able to apply to you. You've been like this for like 30 years. You're never going to change. Now, that voice, that voice is the voice of condemnation. And that voice is the enemy and it is not the Lord. It is not your heavenly father because it is not how the father works. That is not how God deals with us. It's not how God speaks to us. Are you familiar with this, the Aesop's fable, you know, the, the wind and the sun? Remember that story? The wind and the sun, they're disputing which one of them was the stronger. And they, they see this traveler coming down the road. And the, the sun says, oh, okay, I can come up. I, I think I can devise a way whereby we can, we can settle our dispute once and for all. And the sun says, whichever one of us can get the traveler to take off his cloak will be regarded as the stronger. And the sun says to the wind, you begin. And so the sun goes and hides behind a cloud and the wind begins to blow as hard as it can upon the traveler. But the harder the wind blew, what the traveler does is the more closely he, he wraps his cloak around him. And eventually the wind is just kind of out of breath, out of puff. And then the sun comes, as you know, the sun comes out from behind the cloud and, and, and just shone in all its glory upon the traveler, who soon found it to be too hot to keep on his cloak, and so gladly and willingly just takes it off. And really, that's a picture of how our Heavenly Father works. He doesn't force himself upon us. The greater the force, because of the nature of our hearts, the more determined we are to hang on to our, uh, our cloaks and our coats and our hats and our umbrellas and every other bit of paraphernalia that we can possibly hold on to um, our sin and our stuff. But what the Lord does is he, he just loves us. And he keeps on loving us and accepting us and bathing us in the warmth of his glory and grace until we gladly and willingly and eagerly just shed all of the stuff that's weighing us down. You know, the reason, one of the reasons I think uh, it's hard for us to counter condemnation uh, and to see it for what it is, is uh, the reason I think that we often get so confused when we hear all of the rubbish that's kind of coming up in our heads and our hearts is because more often than that, and more often than not, um, most of the stuff that comes up in our heads is actually pretty true. There's truth in it. Um, you know, we have been battling for years. We, we don't feel like we've actually changed that much. We, we tend to feel pretty rubbish about ourselves. Um, 
And the thing is, is that while some of those things may actually be true, it's actually true for the old you. It's, it, it's all true for the person that you used to be before you came to Christ, because you're not that person, you're not that person anymore. Um, you've been bought with a price. You have been redeemed. You are no longer yours. Um, we now belong to another. Um, you have been crucified, crucified with Christ, and it is no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. The moment we surrender our lives and give our lives to Jesus, we are no longer our own. We belong to another. And as such, just as a piece of counsel, really, whenever the accuser comes, whenever the father of lies comes and whispers any of that kind of rubbish in your ear, do not listen to it. Do not pay any heed. Do not get drawn into a conversation or into a dialogue. Um, Don't do what Adam and Eve did when the enemy came towards them and said, did God really say? They got drawn into a conversation. Instead, really our job in that moment is to respond literally like a slave. Imagine ourselves as a slave. We are slaves to Christ. Um, Imagine the way a slave would respond. Someone who is owned by somebody else. An accusation comes towards me. It's like, I'm really sorry, but you'll have to take that up with my master. You see, I'm no longer my own, and I can no longer speak in my own defense. But let me introduce you to my advocate, my lawyer, my legal representative. Let me introduce you to the one who stands on my behalf. Let me introduce you, when all these lies and accusations are coming your way, let me introduce you to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. By all means, take up your case against me with him. He's known me since the foundation of the earth. He'll, he'll tell you who I really am. Uh, when you're hearing that voice of condemnation, don't get drawn. Let Jesus stand in your defense. Don't get involved. We, we will only come out worse if we get drawn. Okay? Ouch. Right. That was just for free. <laughs> That's got nothing to do with James. Anyway, James, keep reading James. This is, a, um, this is an opportunity for us to find something that we're all doing together. And oh, Hello? Is that one of you? <laughs> soak yourselves in the scriptures, soak yourselves in God's presence, and, and get ready to be challenged, get ready to be convicted, but get ready to be changed. Okay? Right. So, James. Remember what we were saying last week. James is all about practical Christianity. This is, this is all about, this book is all about how we actually do this thing called life that uh, we all struggle with. This is about how we're going to please God in and through the ordinary sort of routine things of life. And with that in mind, let's have a look at chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. It says this, Consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Great start. Awesome. Uh, You know, we've only got as far as verse 2, and already the rubber's hitting the road. Uh, This could be a long series. Um, Consider it pure joy 
brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Awesome. You know, it's not a bad way to start a letter. It certainly gets your, it certainly gets your attention. Um, and if you've ever been through any kind of trial, as looking around this room, I know that certainly most of you, if not all of you, have had, um, you will know how much we love to hear this kind of thing. How much we love to hear how we should be considering it. Pure joy when we are facing trials of many kinds. Uh, you know, the proverbial has hit the fan again, and we skip along because we're Christians. You know, we sort of float six inches off the ground, skipping like Snoopy, uh, clapping our hands and praising the Lord with joy. A trial has come my way. Hurrah! I... I feel so good about this. I was feeling down because my life was going swimmingly, and now it's going terribly. Jesus must love me. Hurrah, hurrah. You know, life's given me lemons again, and I get to make another few hundred bottles of lemonade, and you know how I love lemonade. More sheer, unadulterated joy. <laughs> goody, goody gumdrops. And, um, well, actually... It may come as a great surprise to you. That's not exactly what James has in mind. What James is actually doing is he's kind of raising a question for us. And the question is, how should a Christian react? How does a follower of Jesus react in challenging circumstances? How do we as followers of Jesus respond when life gets difficult? You know, when trouble comes, what, what then? Um, trouble. Trouble means all sorts of different things for different people. Uh, it could be that your girlfriend has just dumped you. It could be that you're, you've just found out that you're going to be made redundant, or um, you've been, oh, you've been waiting and praying and hoping for ages for a child, for a baby, and you get pregnant and then you have a miscarriage. Um, it could be that you go to the the medics, the doctors, the hospital, and you get your test results back, and they've discovered something horrendous. Um, there's so many different kinds of challenges and trials and difficult circumstances that for all of us, maybe they, there'll be different things for each one of us. But for us, whatever those things are, they're, they're really challenging. We're facing the death of a parent, we've just lost a loved one. I mean, there's so many trials and challenges that we face. How are we to handle ourselves in those moments? Because according to James in verse 2, we're supposed to count it pure joy. First thing, what I don't think he is saying, like what he isn't saying. Okay, this, is, this is what I think James isn't saying. And I don't think he's saying that, look, no matter how hard what it is that you're going through, no matter how difficult, no matter how challenging, you will be joyful. You will be happy. You will be cheery and upbeat all the time. You will put on some kind of inane fixed grin, sort of Malvolio-like, as we bade him come smiling. You, know, you, you sort of you mutter through clenched teeth and even tighter clenched buttocks. Praise the Lord. 
Praise the Lord, it's awesome, it's amazing, it's great. I'm going to love this. And that's how we carry ourselves. James isn't saying put on a brave face when life gets seriously challenging, you know, stiff up a lip, what have you. know, that's kind of how culture, that's how we've been raised to react and to respond sometimes. But it's not what you read in the book. It's not what you read in the Bible. If there's anything um, about the people of the book, if there's anything about the people of the scriptures or the people in the Bible, is that when they were hurting, they like squealed. Like they, they like yelled. They cried out. You know, if you don't really believe me, read the first 60 or so Psalms. Like David screams at God. He rants and he rails and it's like, it, this, this hurts. This is rubbish. I am lonely. I am depressed. My body hurts. My mind hurts. My people are against me. My enemies are like against me. Everyone's against me. You sort of have abandoned me and you're clearly against me. David was this man. He knew sorrow and he knew difficulty. But he was real about it. He's real about it. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be in pain. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to say how you feel. And sometimes in the church, we haven't quite mastered that. We think we're supposed to be happy and upbeat and skippy all the time. And it just doesn't match with our experiences and our encounters of life. James isn't saying, when you encounter trials of many kinds, pretend. Pretend that everything's okay. Pretend to be something and someone you're not. That's not what he's saying. It's just not real. It's not authentic. It's just not how it works. What I do think he's saying is that I think he is saying, consider it pure joy. I think he's saying, count it pure joy. He, what I think he's saying is that no matter what's going on, no matter what you're facing, and this is really challenging because some of the things that we're facing are seemingly impossible to see God in. But I think what he's saying is, no matter what's going on, make a decision and make a choice, evidence that make, points to the contrary, but to believe that God is sovereign. Make a decision, make a choice, that although you may not have any idea at all what's going on, and that you may not even feel like God is even real anymore, but certainly not present and active in the situation you're facing, Choose to believe that, may, that, that though you may not know what's going on, that he does and that he knows his way for you. See, this is, I think, about careful thought. Uh, this is about, in that moment, stopping and reminding ourselves of who God is, of his faithfulness, of his kindness, of his goodness, of his love for us. And even in the midst of the most terrible situations and circumstances, Allowing that to be your joy. You see, although God doesn't necessarily bring these difficulties upon us, he will use them 
to perfect us and to refine us and to make us more like Jesus. And we're like, do you really have to? Like, do we have to do it this way? Is there not another way? You know, but if it's maturity that we're after, if we're wanting to grow up before we go old, grow old, how we handle difficulty is going to be absolutely key. Think of any Christian that you know who you respect and admire, uh, you know, who, who you consider to be mature and, and, and somebody that you, know, you want to be like when you grow up. Every single one of them, every single time, they will have learned this lesson at some point in their lives. They are people who have learned to see that the things that happen to us in this life incredibly brutal, as so many of them are, because we live in a fallen world, they're really um, they're preparing us, they're readying us, they're preparation for something. Yes, they are difficult. Yes, they are hard. But God redeems them and uses them as, as vehicles whereby we get ready to meet with Jesus so that we are changed and we are more like him and we sound like him and we talk like him and we walk more like him. Um, some of you are like us. We're in exam season again. Uh, praise Jesus. This is the last. I, it's the last one for a while. What am I thinking? Um, Esther's in the middle of her GCSEs. And uh, no matter how often and how much we attempt to encourage Esther to consider it all joy when you have to sit exams, because we know how much they're amazing. We love exams. The general response is um, probably not best repeated in polite company. But you can imagine but there is, something, there is something about that process. It's without, without those kind of tests, without sort of life exams, for want of a better expression. We don't actually have any way of knowing what we've learned. James is saying, actually, um, this is a poor analogy, but James is sort of saying, it's a good thing to see how and who you are when you go through these kind of trials. You see, God has put the seed of a new Christ-like personality in us uh, by his Holy Spirit. But it has to be developed. It has to be nurtured. It has to be grown. And this happens by being placed in situations that are challenging and stressful. It's like, you know, the old adage, you only know what's in the toothpaste tube when you squeeze it. You know, when we're squeezed, what comes out? When we're up against it, who are we in those moments? That's what James is driving at. And what James is trying to say here, I think, is that God uses the difficulties that we face to just to, to, to burn off, actually, to get rid of some of those romantic and sentimental and superficial and immature uh, parts of the relationship that we have with him so that we grow into our relationship with him and our relationship matures. You cannot go through some of the circumstances and situations I know many of you are facing and come out the other side with your relationship with God um, the same as it was when you went in. So, count it all joy. Um, Don't seek out trials, that's just spiritual masochism. Don't pretend that they're pleasant because that's just spiritual self-delusion. But when they come, reckon yourself fortunate in a bizarre kind of way because that's the way that saints are made. Um, Saints are not made in cozy incubators. Saints are made in fiery crucibles. 
a little while ago, the um, Archbishop of York, John Sentamy, he's a dear friend of the vineyard. He's spoken at this church uh, a few times. He underwent surgery for uh, an advanced cancer of the prostate. And he said this of his trial. He said, as I've often said, during the most trying times, I have derived great comfort from the words of the Teze chant, which in German is, aber du weißt den Weg für mich. But you know the way for me. And it's adapted from a passage in Letters and Papers from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German pastor and theologian. He was executed by the Nazis in 1945. And, and that says, God, gather and turn my thoughts to you. With you there is light. You do not forget me. With you there is hope and patience. I do not understand your ways, but you know the way for me. And he ends with this phrase. He just says, I wish you all joy in the Lord. See, here's a man who's learned how to consider it pure joy when he faces trials of many kinds. And if that's not enough to convince you, just think about Jesus. God treat Jesus any differently? Wasn't Jesus tested? Wasn't Jesus made perfect through suffering? Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 says, In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. If Jesus had to encounter, if Jesus had to experience that, those parts of life, the things that he had to endure. He was a son. And yet he had to endure those things. Why would we therefore uh, ask for exemption? Why would we expect some kind of shortcut when God is allowing us to be tested? In the same way that Jesus was tested, he's treating us as children. He's treating us as sons and daughters. And it's so odd. It's so bizarre. It's so painful. But there is real blessing in that. Paul writes in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light and momentary troubles. Ugh, they are not light and momentary. But our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Thank the Lord. Okay, how do we do it? What, is this, what does this even look like in practice? Um, how, are we going to walk through the, how are we going to walk through the pain and the challenge and the difficulty that so many of us are going through right now? Some of you here are facing um, incredibly painful and difficult circumstances. So in some cases, they're life-changing. In, in, in some cases, they're life-threatening diagnoses and illnesses. And, and you're, you're trying to work out not only how to live life with this whole new normal, which is rubbish. But you're actually also trying to work out how to live life, a life of faith in God through it all. Some of you, are, you know, your, your parents are in the last stages of their life and you're trying to juggle work and family and, and just how do you honor these people who've poured themselves out for you and you're trying to understand where God is in it all because... Your father now is struggling with Alzheimer's and he doesn't recognize his wife of 50 years anymore. Or you, or any other family member. 
You're like, where is God in this brutality? Some of you are struggling financially. You just don't even know how you're going to get through. And no matter how much you cry out to God, you call out to God because you know that he holds the whole world in his hands and you're just asking him to release a few hatenes in your direction to get you through the month. But God just like, dum, seems distant and disengaged. And I could go on and on and on. Some of you, it's your marriages. You're struggling. You're challenged in your marriages. And these, your marriage is feeling like hard work. Some of you are learning to live with loss and grief of a loved one. And it's hard. It's really, 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 really hard. And you come here on a Sunday and what do you get from me? Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Oh, man. And you're in so much pain. Now, you don't even know what you believe anymore. You don't even know if you believe anymore. Firstly, I want to say, um, I get it. Like, I really, really, really do. And I get that these things are hard. And I get that there are no easy answers. I get that there are no quick fixes. I get that there are no simple platitudes that are going to help. Um, but in all humility, uh, I'd just like to offer three bits of counsel from, I think, from the scriptures that the scriptures give us that will help us and do help us get through these really, really dark and desperate and lonely times. And the first is this, and it's, um, it's keep on being kind. Keep on being kind. Whenever we, um, we're in the midst of a challenge, we're facing a really, really hard time, or um, you may be, you may be just, you've just come out the other side of a really, really difficult time. Wherever we are in that, let's be a people who first and foremost remember to keep on being kind. Um, kind to ourselves, but most importantly, kind to one another. Um, Jesus embodied kindness, and, and as his body, the church, we are called to demonstrate that same kindness. And so no matter what we are facing Let's first of all remember to be kind. The, the New Testament's full of one another statements. You know, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another, be kind and tender-hearted towards one another, pray for one another. Let's be a people, let's be a family of people who demonstrate that kindness to one another in, in very, maybe small, but very practical ways. You know, write to someone. It's a small, small thing. And yet it has such a profound impact on people's lives when they're going through difficult times. Just write someone a note. Just a really, really short note. Just, you know that they're going through a hard time. You may not know all of the details, but you just get a sense that they're just struggling. Just write them a note and just say, do you know what? I'm thinking about you guys. I'm praying for you. If you need anything, give me a shout. Like three lines. Find someone who's struggling financially or you think someone's struggling financially and shove wads of cash through their letterbox. Just find ways to serve one another. I, I've been finding the last week a bit of a challenge and um, probably because I'm preaching on this. <laughs> Be careful what you pick to preach on. And um, yesterday, on, uh, yesterday morning I was on my way to meet a young chap and uh, on my way I stopped off to get some petrol and I pulled up into the petrol station and I was filling up, uh, filled up the car and I, I bumped into someone from church. And 
their kids were outside, and so I was chatting to their kids and just seeing how they were and stuff like that. And while I was chatting to their kids, this guy had gone off and he'd paid for my petrol. Random acts of kindness. I, 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 I think it cost him 20 pounds and a penny, because I can't actually work the pumps. And, um, <laughs> but it profoundly and deeply affirmed something in me. It had a profound effect on me, like way beyond like 20 quid of the petrol. Um, and I spent the rest of the day being so thankful to God um, for being part of a family of believers that carry themselves and the kingdom in this way. So small, so random. Such kindness. And the Lord did something really profound in me as a result of it. So let's just be looking for ways to be kind. Um, you have no idea how, in the midst of our challenge and struggle, something seemingly so small can have a profound impact. If you feel the Spirit of God prompting you to do something or to say something or to pray something or to write something or to send some flowers or send some wine or whatever it is, don't then go, oh, no, maybe I shouldn't. It's a bit invasive. Just do it. Okay, the second thing, uh, I'm really sorry, I'd say is keep it real, right? Um, we looked at this a few months ago when we were looking at Elijah from 1 Kings chapter 19 um, and how he was so real with God and with other people about and how he processed all of his pain and his confusion and his doubts before the Lord. And if you're at the evening service uh, last Sunday, James and Helen did an outstanding job with a panel just helping us think through some of this related stuff actually about God being good. Uh, Charlie did an excellent job. He, he talked us through a tool for bringing some of that challenge and uh, uncertainty and doubt before the Lord. And so um, if you're looking for a helpful way to process uh, and bring your pain and your emotional turmoil to God, get in touch with Charlie. He'd love to walk you through that. Um, in the midst of all of this challenge, keep it real. Like, please, let's keep it real with one another. Be honest. Be yourself. Be open as much as you can about your pain. And accept one another as people are being real. Don't be freaked out by somebody who's struggling and says, you know what, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. You know, don't try and cast out their demons. Just stand alongside them. Don't be freaked out by it. Your faith is big enough to be able to cope with someone having some doubt. Yeah? Just keep loving them. Stand with them. Support them. Encourage them. Engage them. The last thing I was to encourage... Uh, encourage us to do when we're coming to the end of ourselves and we're kind of ready to throw in the towel um, is to keep worshiping over the years you know we've faced all kinds of different trials and challenges and uh, i remember when um, kate was three months pregnant you know, with our second child with nathaniel and we'd already lost a baby and um we felt like we were back there again as we found ourselves at hospital with the medics telling us to prepare ourselves for the worst and that you know he wasn't going to make it and we prayed and we cried out to god and um i i just remember actually sort of being hit by this fear because we'd been there kind of before and it had gone so horrendously badly um it felt like we were back where we were you know 18 months before and um, and i was hit by this fear that he wasn't going to make he wasn't going to make it um, you know, and whether it's facing the devastating prospects of losing a child or, or getting a diagnosis um, that seems to literally have no other possible outcome other than death, 
Uh, whatever it may be that you're facing, sometimes we just get to that place where we don't even have words to pray. We know we're supposed to pray, but it's just like, I can't even think of what words to string together. There's a, there's a verse in Ephesians chapter 6, which has always been incredibly helpful to us and when we've been in situations like this. And it, it, it says this, it says, And after you have done everything, stand. After you've done everything, stand. And, and, and one of the ways that we stand, having done everything that we know how to do, having prayed our best, prayer, best prayers and sought wise counsel and relied on the wonders of the medics and the, the wonderful National Health Service, um, sometimes there's literally nothing else for us to do but just to stand and worship. And so in the midst of what we're facing, in the midst of our challenge, in the presence of our enemies and our opposition, we sing of God's goodness. While we may, we may kind of want to cry out to God and ask him to take away our pain and our struggle and take away the circumstance and, and change the circumstance, there are times sometimes when he calls us to sort of worship our way out of difficulty and just to declare the truth of who he is in the midst of challenge and darkness. Revelation 12 says that the saints overcame the opposition that they were facing by the blood of the Lamb and the testimony of their word. The word of their testimony. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to stand, having done everything that we possibly can. And we stand on the blood of the Lamb and we declare the testimony of the word. And so... Worship is an opportunity for us to sing his praises. We, we shout our hallelujahs. And we're right in the midst of the storm. We've got absolutely nothing left. And having done everything, we're just standing. We're called to, I believe, sing louder. We're called to worship. Because no matter what we're facing, no matter what the situation, nothing, nothing changes the truth about who God is. That he is good, that he is good, and his love endures forever. And that may well be the very last thing we feel in that moment. That may even be the very last thing we even believe in that moment. But whether we feel it or not, whether we even believe it or not, it does not change the fact, the unshakable fact, that it is true. And worship gives us a vehicle whereby sometimes we can just declare and sing and proclaim that truth when really kind of in our heart of hearts, it's like, I'm not even sure that I think and believe that that's true. I am coming to land, I promise. This morning, what I'd like us to do, I felt like God said we should do this, is um, we want to stand together as a family and um, kind of shoulder to shoulder, as Kate would say. And um, as the body of Christ, uh, we're going to worship. And um, we're going to sing a song that um, I just came across the other day and I feel like it speaks into the situation. It feels like it's a song inspired by the Lord, and, and we're going to just sing in the middle of whatever storm we're facing, and we're going to raise our hallelujahs, regardless of how we're feeling, or regardless of what we think we believe or don't believe anymore. 
And um, we are going to sing our hallelujahs so that they're louder than the unbelief that we might be encountering. And um, James and the team, uh, as they lead us, what I want us to do, um, if you are facing a trial of any kind, and I don't want you to compare your trial with somebody else's trial and say, well, their trial is a real trial and my trial is not a real trial. If it feels like a trial or a challenging situation for you that you're in right now, and that could be any kind of difficulty. Um, if you're in the midst of a storm, if you don't know which way is up, if you feel like you're literally just hanging on by your fingernails, I'm going to ask you to be really brave. I'm going to ask you to just come forward in a minute um, and just to come and stand up here. And um, I'm not going to ask you to talk about what you're going through. I'm not going to ask you to share what you're feeling. I just want you to come forward because I want you to allow the rest of your family, the rest of your brothers and sisters in Christ to come and stand alongside you. And maybe lay a hand on you, maybe pray for you, but just to stand with you in the middle of your storm and allow us to sing God's truth over you as you go through whatever it is you're facing. Okay? Why don't you stand?